when I see the results of what some of my artists do on the on the sheets, it just absolutely blows me away. Hello, print friends, and welcome. I'm your host, Miranda Metcalf. Each week, I chat with artists who use print-based media to do something beyond the expected. This is a bilingual podcast, so if you subscribe to us, you'll be getting episodes in English with me, as well as in Spanish with Ronaldo Gil-Zambrano. Together, we speak to printmakers around the globe about their practice and passions in the world of printmaking. I have some exciting news for you, print friends, before we kick off today's episode. If you haven't heard, I'm hosting a print event. I'm partnering with Print Austin, and I'm bringing you a month-long printmaking celebration to the city of Santa Fe, New Mexico, called What Else But Print Santa Fe. It will be in April of next year, and there are lots of ways you can get involved. We're going to have an international print exchange, which is open to anyone. There will be two, count them two, juried exhibitions that artists can apply for. And there will also be a three-day print fair the last weekend of that month. All calls are open right now and accepting applications at printsantafe.org. So check that out or go through the link in the show notes. I can't wait to see you in beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico. Hello Print Friend is brought to you by Speedball Art Products, who've been offering a diverse range of high quality products to your practice since 1997. If you're looking to add some pizzazz to your practice, check out their new line of additive glitter. Add a sprinkle of their additive glitter to any Speedball fabric screen printing ink to bring a touch of shimmer to your next design. This glitter additive can be used in nearly any ratio, whether your sparkling vision is more subtle or dripping with scintillating shine. Check out the link in the show notes. This episode of Hello Print Friend is also brought to you by McLean's Printmaking Supplies, who've been dedicated to the art and artists of relief printmaking since 1979. The small specialist team of the Pacific Northwest is the leading supplier of Japanese relief tools for printmakers in the U.S. and abroad. Their primary purpose is to help you find the materials and support you need to reach your printmaking goals. Our editor, Timothy Pauschak's two favorite tools are his Fratatsu Waru Sankakuto 3mm V-gouge and his Josuai Maruto 1mm U-gouge, both from McLean's. But you don't have to take our word for it, because these tools speak for themselves. So head on over to McLean's at imaclean's.com and find your new favorite tool and keep on carving. My guest this week is Michael Ginsberg, co-founder of Legion Paper. Michael is an American original and a paper salesman through and through. We talk about him starting Stonehenge in the 1970s, circumventing the world several times over traveling to paper mills, what makes good paper good, and selling paper to Andy Warhol. Also, because we're talking about some great paper here, we're going to be hosting a giveaway of some of that paper over on Hello Print Friends Instagram. Legion has generously donated one of their printmaking sampler packs. So head on over to Hello Print Friends Instagram to see details on how to enter. Now, without further ado, sit back, relax, and prepare to always be closing with Michael Ginsberg. Hi, Michael. How's it going? It's going very, very well. It's a beautiful day uh, in New York City, or actually east end of Long Island, and the weather is cooperating, and all things are good. Wonderful. I'm all very happy to hear that, and and thank you for joining me, and I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Before I, I dive into my questions, 
I always invite my guests to introduce themselves by answering three questions, which are just who you are, where you are, what you do. Well, if I told you where I was now, you would be very, very envious of me and very <laughs> Because I live, well, first of all, I'll, I'll start out by saying my name is Michael Ginsberg, and I am one of the co-founders of Legion Paper Corporation. The company started in 1994, my God, 1994, which makes me or makes us company-wise 28 years old. I mean, what an, what an incredible run, huh? Yeah. Think about it. Incredible run. And I am still active in the company, still doing what I do best, which is creating product for a, an unending and needy market in terms of fine art on so many different fronts that we sell into. We sell into, wow, I would say probably 12 plus markets, printmaking, publishing, multiples, one of them, every medium, whether it be etching, whether it be intaglio, etching intaglio, serigraph, woodblock printing, digital output through our Moab brand and our Canton brand. And yeah, I mean, I'm still at it. I'll keep rambling on, but you know, a little bit of history because you'll probably ask me, how far back does it go with you mm-hmm. in terms of creating product. And it goes all the way back, believe it or not, it goes all the way back to 1971. 1971. And some of the brands, and I know I'm getting ahead of myself, and I'm sure this will be one of your questions, Miranda, but some of the key brands, some of the, the brands that are really notable, probably worldwide, top of the line probably is Stonehenge mm-hmm. brand of products, which is Stonehenge print and drawing paper, Stonehenge Aqua, and the latest, and not the greatest, but the latest paper that we've added to the range, to the family of the Stonehenge family, is Stonehenge oil paper. Mm, yeah. So I'll, I'll I'll rest a little bit because I got ahead of myself, and I'm sure that you have some questions. Absolutely. No, I think you've you've called it because I definitely want to talk about the different papers and you know what makes them great, but. Yeah, to go back even a little bit further, where did you grow up and was art or paper, was that a part of your life? And if so, kind of what role did that have? I got to tell you, that's a really interesting question because I am a frustrated artist. And uh, well, I'm a frustrated abstract artist. But, you know, what's interesting is that uh, I do abstract when I have time now abstract painting. I'm a big fan of Rothko. I was a big fan mm-hmm. of Frankenthaler. And I go all the way back to when I was nine years old, literally nine years old, drawing caricatures and copying, oh God, I mean, just copying cars and planes and, and all kinds of things. And, and the interesting thing was that I had an incredible, an incredible portfolio of pieces of art that I did freehand and or, or using, using cars and planes and things of that nature as, as examples to, to put down on paper. I was supposed to go to an art school and I gave, this is a silly story, but I might as well reveal it. What the yeah. heck? I was in high school and I was going out with a, a young lady whose mother was an art teacher and she took my portfolio and I, I literally, they must have been hundreds 
hundreds of pieces of art. And I, I stopped seeing her daughter, and I never got my portfolio back. Oh, no. <laughs> now, it, I'll tell you why it's sad. It, it's sad because nothing would have pleased me more than to show my children. I have two children. I have a 29, soon to be a 29-year-old daughter and a 20, soon to be a 27-year-old son. And I would love, and my son is very talented as an artist, and so is my daughter. I would have loved to have shown them some of the pieces yeah. of art that I that I've done when I was younger. I mean, but and then I I, I got involved in in business, and I got involved in in the paper industry, starting out as a, as a commercial, <clears throat> if you will, a commercial paper salesman, selling and calling on. I guess you would say Fortune 500 companies where I would sell them paper for for their annual reports, whether it be Sony or whether it be, at that point, it was First National City Bank, Breakstone Foods, Princess Borghese. Uh, I mean, I, that was the route that I took. I mean, I, I was a literally selling commercial commercial printing paper. Hmm. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then I, I kind of got stoked with recognizing that there were there was a void in the industry and the need for papers suitable for fine art reproduction and fine art application. And um, I teamed up with now a retired partner of mine, Len Levine, and we in 1994, well, I, I started early, obviously I was creating papers for art reproduction in, in the 70s, but we started our own company in 1994. And the name Legion, acronym L-E for Levine, mm. uh, my partner, Len, and G-I-N for Ginsburg. And we had to throw an, in, an O in there to, to make it make it sound. <laughs> to oh, make it sound, I was wondering where the name like. came from. But yeah, that makes yeah, so much so sense. That, <laughs> so that's how Legion came about. And it's, it's literally, I, I'll tell you, it's 28 years ago. My God. Yeah, there's probably quite a few people listening to this podcast who aren't even 28 years old. <laughs> yeah, 28, 28 years ago. And some of the some of the keystone brands, I mean, I mentioned Stonehenge, and the family of Stonehenge has incredible worldwide recognition as a premium, inexpensive paper for fine art. The print and drawing paper, which was the first one of the family, I created in 71, and that was suitable originally. That was a paper that I created because I wanted to, I wanted to replicate on a Ford Dernier machine, not a mold-made machine, because they didn't have mold-made machines here in the United States. I wanted to replicate a paper that was suitable, like Reeves BFK. Mm-hmm. Like Reeves BFK had the same look and feel of a Reeves BFK with deckle edges and could perform well for etching and taglio printing. And it was, it, it became very, very successful. It became successful, successful for a number of reasons. First of all, it worked. I mean, that's one of the main reasons, but it was also very affordable. I mean, it was a machine-made paper made here in the States, and it was very, very economical without compromising, by the way, quality. Yeah. I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about making the paper. You say it in just this this one verb, you make it sound so simple, but what's that process like? Are Are you going to factories? Are you talking to people? Are you traveling? Are you doing focus groups. How does it start from idea to making? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Len, Len and I, you know, when we first started the company in, in 70, in 94, 
we literally would go around the world several times a year. And when I say we literally would go around the world, we would start out maybe and go to England. And then from England, we would go to Germany. And maybe from Germany, we'd go to France. And maybe from France, we'd go to Italy. And then we would continue going, believe it or not, we would continue going east. Mm -hmm. And we may wind up, uh, we may have wound up in Nepal. And then maybe we wound up in Thailand. I mean, we represented several manufacturers in Thailand, handmade paper makers and machine-made paper makers, very antiquated process of making paper there. And then we would keep going. And then we mm -hmm. would go to Japan. And then we'd, we'd, we'd come back and we'd stop off in California and we'd go north possibly to see Portland, Seattle, you know, and British Columbia. And then maybe we'd stop back on, in Chicago. And then we'd wind up back in, in New York City. Oh, it's being incredible. And, and, and we did that. And we did that. Several times a year. I mean, you know, we would go sometimes to Portugal because we represented a manufacturer that made cork skin in Portugal. We represented a mill. The mill is unfortunately gone now, but we represented a mill called Magnani. Magnani is still still now making paper, but they're making paper under a different tree altogether. I mean, the, the old 15th century mill, literally 15th century mill mm. was the old Magnani mill. And, um, and you would get to and, visit it and, and spend time in it on these trips? Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, wonderful. God, we, Len and I went, we would go to that mill quite often and watch paper run, literally. And sometimes watch paper run in the middle of the night. I mean, we mm. would go, paper making to a point, Miranda. I mean, paper making is not you flip the switch and all of a sudden you have a product at the end of the machine. I mean, it doesn't work that way. I mean, it's a very, very tedious well, I'm not going to say tedious, but it, it's a, it's a labor-intensive process in terms of producing a trial and then having the trial outturned, tested by by professionals. By the way, when I say tested by professionals, I have <clears throat> a focus group, you know, that I go to. I mean, I don't make these decisions on my own. That's not what we are about. Because if we're going to bring a paper into the market, whether it be whether it be the Somerset brand that I created in 1971, 72 as well, I created that product line for the St. Cuthbert's mm -hmm. mill. It, it, it's not, it, it's trial and error. I mean, you, you, you have an idea of what you want. You give the recipe to the mill and you work closely with the mill. And then when they do a trial, you bring those samples back and you give it to your focus group. Now, I have a focus group for printmaking in terms of all mediums of printmaking. Serograph, Taglio, woodblock printing, holograph. I have a, a focus group for alternative printmaking in terms of platinum palladium printing. Hmm. I have a focus group for colored pencil, for graphite. I have a focus group for oil painting on, on well, on canvas, yes. But now that focus group was really helpful with me, for me, in developing and, 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 and being able to introduce and produce a paper called Stonehenge Oil, which is literally, I'm thinking, is going to be a game changer. I mean, look, and I'll just say this about Stonehenge Oil paper. I didn't create this paper to replace canvas. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's no way in the world that an oil, someone who's a professional oil painter is going to say, oh, wow, you know, I have a new substrate. I'm never going to paint on canvas again. 
That was not my intention. My intention was to create a paper that was would absorb oil, the, the paint, would be a relatively slight textured sheet, surface-wise, would have an incredible tactile feel to it, unlike canvas, if you know canvas, you mm-hmm. feel it. It feels very commercial and very, very blah. There's no... There's no tactile feel about working on canvas. And and the most important thing, two of the most important things about the Stonehenge oil paper is that the paper will not bleed through. Mm. The oil or the resins will not bleed through to the backside of the sheet. So you, you can literally paint on the surface, absorb oil, paint, smooth, relatively smooth surface. I mean, prints, paints beautifully, and it, it, it works like a drum. I mean, and the colors are vibrant, and it, it's, it's going to be a game changer. And what's great about it is you don't have to prep it. You don't have to gesso mm-hmm. it. You don't have to add anything to the surface. If you wanted to do a coloration in terms of changing or adding a tint to the paper, you can do that on your own. I know a lot of oil painters do that. There's a very, very important gentleman who lives in Norway, an incredible painter, very, very creative, very talented by the name of Stephen Bauman. He tints the paper before before he will paint on it. And what's also great about the Stonehenge brand is that you can stretch it. You can wet it and you can stretch it on stretcher bars. Oh my gosh. And and the paper will be and the and the paper performs beautifully well. Unbelievable. So without giving away obviously trade secrets. But when you start out yeah. with an ambitious project like this, like I'm going to create paper that you can use oil on that's going to hold up to it. It's not going to warp. You can stretch it. You can tint it. It's going to absorb the oil, not bleed through. How does that process right. start? I mean, do you start with engineers? Do you start talking to paper mills? What, what I do say, and you got to remember that I represent, when I say I, I said Legion represents mm-hmm. almost, wow, almost 30 paper mills worldwide, mm-hmm. literally almost 30 paper mills worldwide. There isn't a mill in the world. And Len and I did our homework before we started the company. We did our homework and we, we literally listed every potential manufacturer in the market or in the world that had the capability of manufacturing quality paper suitable for art reproduction. To your point, what we do is we work hand-in-hand with the manufacturer. Mm -hmm. And we tell them, look, this is what I want to achieve. This is the market and this is the application that this paper has to be suitable for. What can we together work out? And then we, we go to the drawing board. They tell me what they can do, what they have possibly done in the past. And then we saw it with a trial. We saw it with a trial. And believe me, it goes beyond just one trial. Like I said, you don't just flip a you don't just flip a switch and all of a sudden, boom, you got Stonehenge oil. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. I mean, you gotta tweak it. You may have to change a little bit of the sizing characteristics, you may have to change a little bit of the surface furnish or the surface finish. You may have to increase the basis weight or the grammage weight. There's a lot of there's a lot of noodling that goes on with the product, and also what you're doing at the same time is you're listening to the market that you're manufacturing this product for. I mean, the market dictates what they're looking for, what they want, what their desires are in in, in a certain grade of product. Mm, yeah, and is there a certain amount of, in your experience, subjectivity? 
when it comes to the craft of paper, the way there is with art where one person might look at a work and love it and the other one might say, this isn't for me? Or do you think there's more of an objective well, you know, scale? I got to tell you, that's a, that's a very, very interesting question because one of my mantras, okay, one of my mantras is that Every single medium, whether it be, and especially watercolor paper, especially watercolor, but oil painting as well, you know, all of these mediums are very subjective. Hmm. Every single one of them, every single one of them is subjective. You as an artist, and let's say that you're a watercolorist, let's say that I'm a watercolorist. Well, guess what? What works for your hand and what works for what you're desiring from an out, out an output in terms of what you the look that you're trying to achieve and i'm not saying that you know whether you're a an abstract painter or a realist or a landscape artist or a, a portrait painter you you have a certain you have a certain knack you have a certain hand or and you and you're looking for a certain feel for the surface that you're working on and also the paints you're using and the brushes you're using and the way you the way you handle the brush to the surface and take watercolor. Some watercolors print dry. Some watercolors like wet on wet. Some watercolors print, excuse me, paint very fast. We, I have, I have some, some artists in my focus group that won't paint on, on a cold press surface watercolor paper. They mm. only will paint on a, on a hot press because what they like to do, talking about Stonehenge Aqua, what they like to do is they like to move paint around very quickly they work very fast you know and, and you know it, it look it, it goes back to what you originally asked i mean subjectivity in terms of the medium is without a question i'm, I'm always asked i'm always asked and I, I i did this little three minute segment and you can probably anybody listening can probably go to my website and listen to some of the little snippets that i've done on a variety of different topics and a variety of different grades but you know, one of the questions I was asked is, "What is the what is the what is the best paper for drawing?" Mm. Well, well, guess what? Every single paper in my line. <laughs> I mean, we carry. No, I mean, truthfully, man, Tr I, mean, I can see what you're saying. Yeah, we carry over four thousand SKUs of product. You know, and depending upon your ability, and depending upon you, what you're looking for in terms of performance, you can. I mean, you can do your pencil work or your watercolor work on, on a printmaking grade if, if you so desire without mm -hmm. sizing. It, it all depends on the desires and the talent and the hand of the artist. Yeah. There is no set, there's no set paper that is, this is the best, this is the only drawing paper, I can't use anything else, nothing else exists. Now, that said, as an artist, you become somewhat, not complacent, but you become conditioned to working with a certain grade of paper. And you, and you say, you know what? You know, I know, I know the ins and the outs of the sheet. I know it's not perfect. I know it, there, there are probably better grades of product out there that I could probably do my work on. You know, you get a little lazy. My, my answer to that ideal is you owe it to yourself as an artist to try as many of my papers as possible, whether it be Somerset for drawing, whether it be Stonehenge for drawing, whether it be the Stonehenge Aqua for drawing, not only for watercolor, whether it be Coventry Rag. It's endless, really endless. I mean, there's such a variety of different papers that, I, that we carry 
that are very suitable for so many different mediums. Mm. So many different mediums. Yeah. And so that subjectivity that you spoke to, how do you balance that when you're actually creating the paper? Because as you say, you're making a watercolor paper, but some people want to paint wet, some people want to paint dry, some people fast, some people slow. In terms of the feedback that you get from people, how does that shake down into a finished product that trots well, more of yeah, a middle ground? That, that's also, yeah, I mean, that's also a very good point. I mean, if you basically say to yourself, look, there are certain characteristics that are really expected of a watercolor paper. Right. Paper has to have have paper has to be adequately sized to be able to take watercolor to be wet if it's wet soaking wet or and it has to be able to take color. You want a paper that has the ability to lift color possibly. There's a lot of fugitive colors out there in terms of paints and I'm not going to mention some of the brands. I mean you got so <laughs> many. You got Daniel Smith, you got you got Holbein, you got Schwenk. There are so many manufacturers of color, and every single manufacturer, the same is true of colored pencil. You know, you have so many different colored pencil manufacturers out there as well. Conti's, and you have DeWint, and you have Prismacolor. I mean, every single, every single manufacturer of the, the, the color for the medium reacts differently to the, to the paper. So what you do, to your point, is you start out with a probably a set profile formula, knowing that the watercolor paper has to withstand X. And then you start from there, and then either you improve on it or you have it tested and every, every your, your focus group comes back and says, Michael, you created a great sheet. You know, mm -hmm. we did that with the Stonehenge oil paper. We did that with the Stonehenge oil paper. You know, people came back and says, Michael, this is an unbelievable sheet. It's very tactile. It's very, it's not smooth. It has a slight surface to it, a slight cold press, even surface to it. it it's perfect for laying down color. It, it absorbs the oil. It leaves you with vibrancy. And it and not only that, it, it's overlapping for application to other mediums. I mean, you can do acrylics on it. You can watercolor on it. You can draw on it. Here again, subjectivity. There isn't one set paper that is... Yes, I Stonehenge Royal, Stonehenge Aqua, Stonehenge Print and Drawing. But all of these papers have overlapping applications. I'm not trying to be vague about it. I'm just trying to, you know, to your point, yes, you, you're like a printmaking grade. Let's take Somerset. That's a perfect example. When I first came out with Somerset in 1972, wow. I mean, everybody looked at it and said, so what? I mean, I'm a, I use Reeves VFK. And by the way, Reeves VFK is another another greater product, and Oshkover is another greater a product in my arsenal in terms mm -hmm. of paper, my offering to, to, to my printmaking customers. But Somerset Now, Somerset Now is recognized as a premium printmaking grade. Not when I first created it. And I guess the reason being was it was... Printmaking, gee, wow, Somerset, what is that? I mean, I, I use Reeves VFK, I use Archcover, I use, I, I, this is not going to work for me. But over, it, it, and it takes time. It really takes time. When I speak to some printmaking workshops today and students and, and professors that teach printmaking at college, on the college level, they say, Michael, Somerset is one of the best printmaking papers mm -hmm. made. It, and I'm going, and Miranda, I'm going back to 1972 when I made it. <laughs> yeah. And that's a really good segue into my next question, which had to do with the fact that paper is a very old technology. 
in the history of humanity. And it also, of course, evolves with contemporary artists. So in the, the 28 mm. years that you've been in the business, what things have changed and what things are just inert and, and have to be a part of it? Have you seen big advances in technology? Have you seen changes in manufacturing? It's it's an ancient yet ever-evolving product. Yeah. Well, mold, mold-made papers, which is what Somerset reads, or just to name a few, some of the other grades, the Fabriano, these are mold-made grades, and you don't have mold-made cylinder, cylinder mold-made machines in the United States. You only have four juniors. So that technology is still in place in Europe. That is still in place across the pond, not here in the States. Could you, um, sorry, could you explain what mold-made is, just in case anyone is listening and they're well, like, what does that mean? A, a mold-made machine is a, is an, is, is, it's an automated piece of equipment that runs at a very, very slow snail pace, if need be. It's a, it's a rotary drum that, that takes fiber out of, out, of a, out of a beater, and it literally laps fiber on top of fiber in, in a, ro- mm-hmm. a rotating, rotating cylinder, and it gives you the ability, because of the nature of the sl- and, and the, the, the speed of the machine, it gives you the ability, the ability to make very heavyweight papers. Mm. You, you're limited to the maximum grammage weight on a four-dirty machine because the machines run so quick. You know, the machines are so fast gotcha. here okay. in the United States and even in Europe. So, so you have the ability, you have the ability to make, I, you know, I've made, I've made 500, 600, 800 gram mm. a mold made paper in Europe. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's a very slow, slow automated process and you have the ability to do certain things on a mold machine that you can't do on the Ford Junior. You can you can watermark heavyweight papers mm-hmm. on a on a mold machine. You know, it's a matter of watermarking. It's another conversation. I'm not gonna get too technical about <laughs> it, but it's a matter of literally it's it's a matter of sewing a copper sewn screen that is adapted to the drum on the machine, on the cylinder machine. And when the fiber hits that particular area of, of, the, of the wire, it leaves an impression or a watermark. You, you can't do that on a Ford veneer uh, on, on, in heavyweight papers. You, you, you just, it, it will, the, the watermark will not be discernible at all. I mean, it won't, it's just, you won't be able to see it. You can do it on lightweight papers with, with felt marks and, and things of that nature, but you can't do it where it, it is visible as, as if it was on a mold-made machine. Yeah. But look, it's not an exact... Paper making is not an exact science. And here's mm-hmm. what I mean by that. I mean, it, it, it's a formula. It's a formula. And, and during, during a manufacturing of a, of a particular... Take, take any one of the grades. Take Stonehenge or take Somerset. During the manufacturing... You, you have to you have to take samples during the run. You have to make sure that they they make the the same spec color wise, surface wise, caliper wise, grammage wise. There's a, there's a profile a profile or what you would call a standard for manufacturing that specific grade of product. So it, that's when when I say it's not an exact science. Sometimes even within a run, you will potentially get a variant. You'll get a variant in the caliper. You'll get a variant in a little bit of the surface. You'll get... It, it's not unlo- It's not perfect. It's not perfect. I mean, we try for perfection. Trust me. We try for, for, for perfection. 
there's always a set standard that the mill, every mill that manufactures any of my grades has to adhere to. Not the, not the run, not, the, not each particular run. They don't, they, in other words, if you make paper, the standard doesn't become the, most, the, the, the latest run. That's not the way it works. The standard is what was originally set as a recipe. That's the standard that every mill that makes product for me goes by. Mm. And and to that end, <clears throat> what makes a good paper? You spoke of going to these different mills and finding the ones that could create paper to the standard that you wanted. What does that look like? Does it have to do with materials, <clears throat> length of fiber, functionality? How do you know? Be, How do you know? Be, yeah. Boy, you're you're really well armed. I mean, you have some, <laughs> you have some good questions. <laughs> well, it has to do with it, it has to do with everything that you just mentioned. I mean, okay. first of all, your sources for raw materials. All right, your source for raw materials for cotton linters. And not not the white fluffy part of the cotton plant. That's not what paper making is all about. That goes into the garment industry. Mm. You know, the cotton linter is literally the cellulose fiber that is a that is attained from the husk, if you will, around the seed of the cotton plant. You know, and that is a very long cellulose fiber. Um, the quality, the quality of those linters is very, very important. The quality of the refinement of the linter of the raw material at the mill is incredibly important. Just the the, the cleanliness of the mill period is mm-hmm. very, very important. You got to rec- you have to realize that when you're doing an addition, let's say you're doing an addition of fifty lithographs, whether it be a silk screen print or whether it be an etching or whatever. I mean. You have to understand that a lot of these particular papers, like, let's say, Stonehenge, Somerset, I'll, t- I'll take those two grades. You know, these are papers that are printed one at a time. You may have a suite or an edition that's only 15 sheets mm. or, or, 50, or, or 15 piece edition. You can't have you can't have dirt and, and contamination in these particular papers. All of these, especially with especially with Somerset, more so with Somerset than let's say with a, a Stonehenge grade, because Stonehenge is print is manufactured on a four hundred machine, so it's a it's a pretty high speed piece of a piece of equipment. So you have to trust the mill to adhere to your specs in terms of cleanliness. As it relates to a grade like Somerset or Reeves or Osh or any of those particular grades, these papers are hand inspected. Hmm. They're hand inspected because they're sheeted. When they're sheeted and they, and a decals are, you have two natural decals and then you have two tear decals. So whoever is whoever is tearing the sheet and giving you that four decal look on, say, like a Somerset twenty two by thirty, you know they're looking over with proper lighting. They are looking over the entire surface of the sheet and curating out, if you will. Any contaminated sheets that don't that are not suitable, and and by, and by the way, every now and again, guess what? You'll get contamination. You mm-hmm. can't avoid it. I yeah. mean, it happens. It happens. But you know, you do. As I said, it's not a perfect science. You do the best that you can to get the mill on a machine to yield the most, the, the best possible product is that they can. And what does contamination look like? Is it spots in the paper? Is it foxing later on? Is it discoloration? It can be, well, it can be a whole bunch of things. It okay. can be, it could be dirt from a, it can be dirt from a, from a sheeter. You know, it can be oil in, in, in the equipment on, on the paper machine. Mm-hmm. It can be a, a piece of a husk 
fiber that got into the pulp, and it wasn't during the clean during the cleaning process before it got into a beater. It wasn't cold out. You know, it got mm-hmm. into, it got into the mix, and it wound up guess where on the sheet of paper. <laughs> not uncommon. Not uncommon. Fortunately, it's not all the time. Right. But you know, it happens. It happens. And as I said before, what you try and do on every single run is you try and trust, obviously you have to trust, you have to trust the paper makers to be on their toes watching the run and making sure that everything is to the standard that is to be made mm-hmm. for the grade yeah. in every respect. Finished, basis weight, cleanliness, everything. Yeah, 100%. So, so what do printmakers want from their paper that differs from watercolorists or oil painters? It's very simple. I mean, it's very simple in, in the sense that, and again, it goes back to being subject, uh, being very subjective because mm-hmm. there are a number of watercolors that I have and there are a number of printmakers that I have. I'll give you a friends a number of watercolors I have that love to watercolor on Somerset, uh-huh. which has no surface sizing, literally, literally no surface sizing at all, which is so against what a, a watercolorist would want to work on. And then on the reverse side of that, you have somebody who says, well, I, I pulled some incredible prints, etchings on Osh watercolor, which mm. is so heavily sized, mm. so heavily sized. And prior to them working on it for a, for a print, they'll probably soak it for a day, you know, just to soften the sheet and soften the sizing. So to my point, you know, there are for, for every single medium, let's take printmaking because you brought it up first, right? The general rule of thumb is you want a paper surface to be minimally internally sized, right? And again, there's, there are papers out there, whether it be Arch 88 or whether it be some copper plate papers that have literally no sizing internal or external and print beautifully. They print beautifully. Now, you run them under water, and guess what? I mean, it, they become like a blotter. I mean, it, because there's no sizing, just a binding agent that holds the fiber. But the general rule for printmaking grades is that you want a surface that has little surface sizing as possible. Because what that will allow you to do, and, and by the way, when you prepare a sheet of like, so let's say Somerset, there's no real need to soak the sheet overnight. I mean, literally, you don't have to soak it overnight. You can mist it. You can dampen it through wet blotters or you can dampen it, you know, with, with a sponge or with just a, a spray mist. And the reason for that, the, the reason for that, not soaking wet, by the way, not soaking wet, but damp. The reason for that is that you want that ink from the plate to penetrate into the sheet. You want to, you you want to get absorption. You want to get real good quality, you know, in, into the into the sheet on the surface of the sheet. With watercolor paper, you want the surface of the sheet in most cases, as water as most watercolors would like. You want that surface to hold color out. In other words, you don't want a lot of absorption into the sheet. You want to be able to move color around on the surface. And the way you do that, or the way you can achieve that, is when the paper is got good internal and surface sizing. Mm-hmm. And I want to get in. I don't want to get into the sizing chemistry. No, or, we don't. You know, we don't need to, to dive that deep. Yeah. <laughs> suffice, suffice, suffice to say that all of these papers, by the way, are totally archival. Yep. And totally inert, and and use totally inert sizing characteristics, whether they be chemicals, AKD, <clears throat> which stands for alk. 
<laughs> I'm not going to even tell you what it is. Alkid Alkid Kaidin dimer is the is the AKD, and it's nothing more than an inert synthetic sizing characteristic that allows you to hold out color and hold hold color, and that's and and also you, there's starch. You, the starch is another chemical or another compound. Excuse me, another compound that's used internally as well as surface wise for for sizing. You know, besides mm-hmm. papers. Yeah. And I'm still, and by the way, I still have ideas. I mean, I, I'm yeah. not going to share them with you now, <laughs> but, I, but I still have ideas in terms of what I want to do. And, and, and what I want to do is not what I really want. It's what the market really wants. Mm-hmm. I, I, I listen to the market. My focus groups and some of the most talented professionals in all the mediums, Colored pencil, oil painting, watercolor, printmaking, every medium of printmaking, and serigraph, obviously, as well. You know, I, I lean on them. I really do. And I put them to, the, and, and they're so helpful in it. So I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to do what I do without them. I really wouldn't. They are my, they are my, my proofing ground. They really are. Mm. In terms of taking all of my grades and trials for test drives. You know, they're incredible and, and they're all good friends of mine and they're all customers and, and uh, groups that say to me, Michael, whatever you have, whatever you're designing, whatever you wanted, whatever you want me to do, just send me, send it to me and I'll drop everything and I'll do it for you. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is something that's been going on for years with, with me and the creating process of product. But again, to my point, I listen, I have to listen to the market. What does the market want? What does an artist look for? What is he, what is he looking for? What's new and exciting? That can, look, I'm not going to be like, and I'm not going to mention companies. I'm not going to be, we're not a Me Too paper company. Legion is not a Me Too paper company. There are people out there and there are companies out there that watch everything I do and they probably try and knock off what I do because... They know that Legion does it best. I mean, mm. we've been doing it for so long, and I'm not boasting about it. It's just that it's a passion. It's a passion. It's something that, you know, I've been. it's just exciting to do this. And also, it's exciting to satisfy the market, to give an artist. I have, I have I'll share this with you. I have customers of mine and artist friends of mine that have said to me, Michael, if it wasn't for some of the papers that you've created over the years, I wouldn't know what to do. Hmm. I, I I would have nothing to work on. I, and I hear that and I say, my God, you can't, you're kidding me. Said, no, I'm not kidding. I said some of the grades like Stonehenge is a range, whether it be the Stonehenge drawing and print and whether it be the Stonehenge acre, whether it be the now Stonehenge oil, have come to me and said, Michael, without these grades of paper, I, 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 I would be I would be lost. I would be lost, hmm. which is unbelievable accolade for me. I mean, it's. Yeah, you know, what a wonderful kind of thing a to hear! Topic. Absolutely. Yeah, it yeah. Really it, it'll be it'll be mentioned in my book when I when I get a chance to <laughs> when I get a, when, I, when I get a go, when I get a ghostwriter that can edit the eight hundred pages that I've that I've put together so far with no context with no real <laughs> semblance of any order at all. <laughs> do, you, do you have a name anyway. for the book yet? So I'm just curious. I feel like they could be very exciting uh, paper names. Everything you. Every, Everything you wanted to know about paper, but we were afraid to ask. <laughs> I, I feel like, to kind of bouncing off that, I'm always 
curious when people know so much about a medium and a, and a part of the world and a market to ask them, what do people get wrong about what you do? What do people, what assumptions do people bring to paper that you found throughout your years? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll tell you what an artist gets wrong right from the get go. Okay. Whether mm. it be, especially a student. And I say this to when I, when I talk to classes, whether it be by you or whether it be, Savannah College of Art, or whether it be Academy of Art, or whether it be SCA, School of Visual Arts, I say to them, and their professors are standing right there, I say to them, if you value your talent, if you value your art, do not, do not compromise the quality of the paper that you're working on. Mm. Don't compromise. Right from the get-go, work on the best possible product you can, which is one of the reasons why I came out with Stonehenge. Here was a paper that was rivaling, and I mentioned this earlier, was rivaling Reeves BFK, but it was half the price. Mm-hmm. Taking into consideration that a student can't afford to buy a sheet of Reeves BFK for like $9 a sheet. You know, I mean, I was, forget it. I mean, so could you afford a paper that was going to cost you four, maybe $4 a sheet? Yeah. And not compromise your, not compromise quality? 100%. Without a doubt, 100% cotton, acid-free, deckled edges, works like a dream. Mm-hmm. So I, I say to these students and the professors, and I say, look, your students have to use the best. Don't do a piece of art. Don't do a piece of art that, that you're going to f- potentially frame on a piece of newsprint. Mm-hmm. Don't do that. I mean, it, it makes look, Andy Warhol, in the beginning stages, and we did, Len and I, did business with Andy when he was in his, in his day, early days, mm. in the late 70s, early 80s. He passed away in 84. We sold Andy, believe it or not, we sold Andy for his prints, rising, rising Lennox museum board. Rising museum board. What, it was 100% cotton, but it was totally archival. If you look at some of Andy's early pieces, I mean, I, this is a show that I went to several years ago. There was a Marilyn Monroe piece was yellow all the way around the edges of the sheet. Mm. I mean, the paper was not archival. Yeah. It was acidic. It was an acidic. And the paper was literally, literally self-destructing. Yeah. Eating, eating itself, eating itself up, eating itself up because of the acid in the sheet. So uh, to that point, all of the papers, and I, I make the, I'll, make, I'll continue the point. All of the papers that we carry are totally, totally archival papers, totally acid-free, totally sir, will, will stand the test of time. But more importantly than that, or as important as that, when a, when a finished piece is done and you want to frame it, if you value your art as an artist, you have to frame it because UV light and ultra and, and fluorescent lighting and, and natural sunlight, no matter whether the paper is themed as color fast or light fast, will turn the color, will, will change the color of the sheet. You want a paper that will, you want, you want a, a glass or loose dye that will filter out all of the harmful rays, whether it be sunlight or UV light. So if you value your art, you should obviously use Rising Museum Board, which is the best, the best matting board, mounting, 100% cotton mounting board out there. But you also have to frame it behind UV protective glass or, or flexi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I'm sorry, I, I, I had to segue into that because 
that's as important as the product that you're that you're doing your piece on. It's very very important when it's done that you frame it properly and mounted properly. Mm, yeah, I mean, I I worked for quite a few years at a commercial gallery that dealt with antique and modern prints, among other things, and we saw just nightmare cases of people who had invested in a Miro and then had it spray mounted to something in these kind of early mid-century kind of more barbaric times of framing and it's really rough because there are people who are planning on selling that to help pay for a grandkids education and you have to kind of try and break the news to them about what they've done to the work. So it is important that framing, it protects works on paper in a really meaningful way. It's not just to display them. Without a doubt. And, and, and by the way, we, if you go to our website, and, and, and if there's anybody out there that wants more information about the conservation of, of art in terms of the framing aspect of it, we, we have a whole, we, we have... I think we have a video on it. I think we also have a kind of like a but our, our website, by the way, which is in the process of being, being totally redone. I mean, to make it a little bit more, people have told me that the website now is like a Bible. It, it, it's like the, it's their go-to information source in terms of product and paper and, you know, and all the grades that we carry and the colors and the grammages and, you know, all of that stuff. But it's even going to be better. I mean, it's being done, it's being done professionally and it's going to be unbelievable. It's going to be, it's going to be, it's now a resource manual, if you will, but it's even going to be an easier resource manual and very easy to navigate, full of, just chock full of information about product and where you can buy it and what's available, sizes, colors, grammages. Everything. It, 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 it's going to be. It's going to be like a like an like an encyclopedia for product. That sounds great. Do you have a timeline for when that might launch? I don't. We're, we're, we're probably looking like we're all said and done. We're probably looking in the early first quarter of, of uh, the new year. Okay, yeah. great. Well, definitely, we'll put a link but, you know, but to I it. Invite, yeah. I, I, but Miranda, I, I yeah. But I invite anybody that's listening to visit my website, legionpaper.com, and, and visit the website because there's so much information on there that, that they, if, they haven't, if they haven't looked at it and they haven't navigated it, I mean, they really owe it to themselves as an artist and professional to really take a look at it because it's filled with so much information. Absolutely. Well, Michael, we've got time for one more question. We've been chatting for 55 oh minutes. Oh, my God. Um, oh my God! How long have we been? How long have we been talking? Fifty-five minutes and fourteen seconds. <laughs> oh my! Oh my God! I know time See, flies time when flies you're talking. When you, <laughs> talking paper. By, no time. No, Miranda. Time flies by when you're talking to me because you know, <laughs> it's it's a little it's a little it's a little bit of my New York accent probably uh-huh. coming through, and also that I it's a kind of a relaxed environment and it's not stressful. Well, and, and, I, and you I love, love what you do. About, you can hear that. You know, All right, I'm it's still, great. Look, I am still. I am still so passionate about what I do and what Legion does, and there's only good things down the road, trust me. That's great. And what is the last question? My last question is, what do you love most about what you do? You've spoken to some wonderful things, but is there anything that maybe we didn't get to talk about that really gets you excited every day to show up and do well, your Well, I'll work? tell you what I love best. 
Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you what I really love best. And I invite, I invite whoever's listening and whoever considers themselves, whether it be an amateur or professional that works on any of my, my products. What I love is when I introduce a product and I see what is, what it's used for and what the results of a print are on, mm-hmm. on some of the papers, whether it be Somerset or whether it be Stonehenge or whether it be Stonehenge Oil or the Stonehenge Aqua, when I see the results of what some of my artists do on the, on the sheets, it just absolutely blows me away. Oh, yeah. And it, 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 basic, it basically, what it does is it spurs me on to be more creative in terms of, and I guess this is the way, by the way, this is the way that I channel my frustration in terms of an artist mm. into creating product for the art market. Yeah. So here's my, here's my invitation. Here's my invitation to whoever's listening. If you are working on any of my grades and you feel very strongly about and positive about these papers and what, how they perform for you, I invite you to send them to me. Send, me. send me files. I'll post them on my website and I'll post them on all my social media platforms, without a doubt. That's great. I mean, I, I, love, to see, I love to see some of the output on, on some of the products that I've been responsible for creating over uh-huh. the years. Great. Well, I will definitely look forward to seeing some submissions appearing up on that website from our chat. And Michael, it's been a real pleasure to talk with you and hear your your passion and your pride that you take in your work. And it's just, yeah, I'm really excited to share our conversation about Legion Paper. I know there'll be, like I said, a lot of paper heads out there looking forward to it. Well, super. Thank you for giving me the time to uh, spout. I appreciate it. It's been really very good. fun. I'll, I'll be in touch soon. I'll let you know when it's coming out, and uh, we'll talk again, okay? Okay, my dear. You have a great weekend, all right? You too. Thanks so much. Have a good evening. Okay, bye. Okay, my dear. Bye. If you like today's episode, we have a Patreon, where you can help us keep the lights on and get bonus content, like Shop Talk Shorts, where our editor, Timothy Pauschak, digs deep on materials, processes, and techniques with past guests. Also, if monetary support isn't in the cards right now, you can leave a review for us on your podcast listening app of choice or buy something from one of our sponsors and tell them Hello Print Friend sent you. But as always, the very best thing you can do to support this podcast is by listening and sharing with your fellow print friends around the world. And that's our show for this week. Join me again next week when my guest will be Eddie A. Lopez. We'll talk about his childhood growing up during the Sandinista Revolution in Nicaragua and seeing art and prints around him as a form of political activism. How that perception changed a bit when he came to the U.S. at nine years old, and taking the dehumanizing data of war and imbuing it with artistic meaning. You won't want to miss it. This episode, like all episodes, was written and produced by me, Miranda Metcalf, with editing by Timothy Pauschak and music by Joshua Weber. I'll see you next week.